Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. It is roughly 10.30 on Friday night. This was a, a bit of a long day for us. Uh, we're going to have quite a bit to go through. Uh, hopefully we won't take too long because I don't know about you, but I want to get a little sleep tonight. Um, we started today, uh, as we do every morning, waking up in the hotel all too early with the alarm clock. Uh, go on having breakfast at the hotel. That worked out, uh, I thought, pretty well. It did. Uh, then we drove over. We or began staying at Liberty Station on the other side of the airport, which uh, pluses minus is it's nice and quiet when we get here. Whereas mm. tonight when we left the gas lamp, it was it was popping. It was thumping. So I, I like the peace and quiet. But going over this morning, we got blocked by the trolley at one point. Uh, it took us a little little bit to get over there. It wasn't, wasn't a big deal, but it was, uh, like I was saying before, it bakes in another at least half hour. Um, but I think it's well worth it to have the bigger room where we are and uh, the kitchenette and again, just the peace and quiet at night. It is silent here. I was going to say the, the distance from it so I can, well, as you commented right before we sat down and recorded, I just took a moment to kind of melt into the chair and give this little sigh of relief of, okay, I'm away from Khan. I can relax for 10 hours. Well, or whenever we're done with this, it, it's one of those things. It it's cool being right there at Con. We've done that for many years. It's a lot of fun. But like tonight, there were fireworks. There was a lot of concert type stuff going on. A lot of venues, just full force. And finding a, a hotel room that's convenient, that's quiet, and stuff like that. It's it's not easy. I was gonna say. I think you stay at that energy level the entire time you're there. If you stay at one of those hotels, because you're always aware of the activity going on. In fact, a friend of ours who's staying at one of the hotels that overlooks the convention center was commenting that at one point she got up to use the restroom in the middle of the night and she couldn't resist looking out her window to see the Hall H line and see what was going on. If you get a chance uh, to go up to, to her room, with your camera that's got the nice megapixels and get a good picture with Khan in full force. I should try. Because the, the photo I got was with my cell phone before Khan started, so they were still building some stuff. Uh, and I just think that'd be cool to have. Yeah, Great I should view try. from their hotel room. Amazing. And talk about getting just the pulse of Comic-Con from above. It's awesome. So we get over there, we park, and then we head over to the uh, the Central Library. Yeah, and this is the first year that's been, to my knowledge, an official venue yes. for panels. And yeah. first year is a, an official venue. The building's uh, two, three years old, so really new. This is all that we went to in the uh, the Neil Morgan Auditorium. I'm not entirely sure who the Neil Morgan is. It's named after. I should do a little research on that at some point. They had quotes from him on one of the pillars about San Diego and the Bay. I was reading them between panels, as was I. Um, but this is where they've been holding all of the web series and podcasting panels. So on Thursday, there was a Comixology podcast, um, uh, really a couple other podcasts and stuff. Today was all web series. 
Tomorrow it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, but today it was really cool. We went to four back to back panels in the auditorium. It's a really nice venue. It'd be nice if they could make it a little darker when they're showing some footage. Uh, but we saw Nobility, which is a web series, um, starring a lot of name people. Uh, Christopher Judge, uh, I think we've already talked about this a little. We've talked about it a little, but I'm going to make a little noise here, which always annoys John when he goes to edit. But Well, it's going to stay in for this because it's going to be pretty long. Yeah. But this one also had Walter Keong, uh, Co- or, sorry, Walter Koenig, uh, you know, uh, Chekhov from the original Trek, uh, Tori Higginson from Stargate Atlantis, James Kyson from Heroes. Adrian Wilkinson, I don't know what she's best known for, but that's a name we'll talk about in a little bit, because uh, she was also in Star Trek Renegades, which was one of the later panels. Uh, Miracle Laurie from Dollhouse, uh, Doug Jones, who's done a lot of character actor, alien character actor. Yeah, he was uh, not able to be there because he was also promoting Falling Skies today, for instance. Yeah, there were a couple of people that were at the convention but couldn't be at certain panels just because of the distance between where they needed to be at certain times, and they had to had to pick and choose. Yeah. So the nobility panel was first. That was a lot of fun. The uh, the writer for that, a very energetic guy, mm-hmm. very passionate about his project, um, and just seemed to run a, a good show. Well, and it was interesting when he was commenting that a lot of the people who worked on the project were people that he met when he was an actor filming on a different project that was very dark Mm -hmm. and they were cracking a lot of jokes on set to really lighten the mood and keep themselves from getting down on set and suddenly it was like this light bulb went off of hey we're cracking these jokes about these props about this set and what if instead of just cracking random jokes a whole different show was being made well, it sparked the genesis of it, and this is billed as Firefly meets The Office. But the guy has got a, a pretty serious backstory for the various races and stuff like that that are just offshoots of humanity. Mm-hmm. But uh, Neil Kaplan uh, does the voice of the computer. He was on the panel. I'm pretty sure he's done something with Power Rangers, but I'd have to go look up what, and I just haven't had the time because busy day. And- but they were talking about how the the computer – kind of thinks through things mm. and it was it was really well thought out for something that's just hey the computer ought to have a voice yes wait a sec the computer knows who's more important on the ship and there are only so many resources to allocate does it play favorites if so why how and really the way they seem to have thought through some of this stuff fascinating it, it seems like this is going to have the ability to be written off as oh it's just a funny thing but it's got some serious depth to it Definitely. And when the guy got asked some questions uh, based on one of the clips he showed where a guy was just kind of ad-libbing on something, he came back with some really good responses. So the guy is sharp. Yes. If I were doing a web series or some such, he's the kind of guy I would want involved. And it was E.J. De La Pena. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, Let me unroll the noisy poster a second time. And see if his name EJ is... EJ De La Pena. I got it right. You got it right. Uh, and again, nobilitytheseries.com. Yeah. Uh, he, they seem to have it, have it well thought out, well done. I was I was very impressed. It was a lot of fun. Well, one of the things that entertained me during the panel, actually, uh, with Neil Kaplan, was he was commenting 
that he goes in and he just reads off the script, the lines that are needed, mm -hmm. and he doesn't actually have to memorize the dialogue and then perform it because he's simply reading it into the recorder in the moment and it's in one ear out the other, basically. And he was not discounting the acting, the inflection, all of that. But it's very much, and he was almost equating it. It goes in the eyes, it comes out the mouth. The brain's kind of disconnected behind that. It's all not muscle memory, mm -hmm. but it's all in the moment for him. Yes, that's you know, the key. And that the difference between him being in the moment, performing these voices for computers, or Optimus Prime is a voice he's done, versus an avid fan of Transformers who has dedicated their life to being a passionate fan of Optimus Prime. Even if it's not to that extent, it's one thing to... To, to to say the line that becomes the catchphrase for the movie. You know, it's another thing to be watching the show and just that's the right emotional moment in the story and it just mm -hmm. really hits home or whatever. Mm -hmm. for, for this guy, it was just something he said one day at work. And he was saying that, you know, he wishes he could remember lines he's delivered well as opposed to being able to deliver his favorite jokes from the Muppets. And what got me was he could do his favorite jokes from the Muppets in the voice of Kermit. Yeah. And he pulled out all these great voices. And somebody in the audience called out, why aren't you on the voice actors panel? And his response right away was, I've never been invited. There are a lot of people that, if invited to be on panels, definitely would be. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, some of it is you may think these are extroverts and stuff. They're not. Some of them are, certainly don't get mm -hmm. me wrong. But a lot of them, voice actors and stuff like that, very much introverts. Yeah. Uh, just because they're able to do their stuff kind of off on their own or whatnot. Um, but, yeah, some of these, uh, it, it surprises me who does and doesn't get invited on some of the panels. Yeah. Well, and the fact that it is basically an invitation process in terms of some people put forward the I'd like to be on a panel and other people just wait to be invited. Well, and some of it also is if you've got, like with the voice actor panel, some of those are being done by uh, Mark Evanier. Mm. And he's going to pull people he's worked with. Yeah. Now, I'm sure he's probably worked with Neil Kaplan. The guy's been in the business for decades. But is he close enough friends? Is he, you know, got mm -hmm. the right hookup? Whatever. And I'm not saying Mark Evanier's playing favorites or anything of the sort, but you're going to go with who you know and are the most comfortable with to get a good panel, etc. Exactly. Um, yeah. But that was a, a, a good panel. They showed some of the footage. Uh, the effects look great. Everything. I mean, it looks like a lot of fun. I will admit, I wished that they had shown the trailer first as opposed to last. All of the panels we saw in that room today were very much geared on the assumption you were either a backer already familiar with the project and seeing the trailer was just, hey, see it on the big screen, not mm -hmm. see the trailer. Yeah. And I get it, but I think they all should have started with the trailer and gone that way. Yeah. But there were some technical issues. There was definitely technical issues during that panel. And I had, you know, a pretty good idea what nobility was, but I started to doubt what I thought it was based on the clips they showed, which were meant to highlight the actors who hadn't been able to attend the panel. Yeah. And I want to clarify the technical issues. Anytime you've got a venue mm. where you're going to be plugging in somebody else's computer, playing stuff, whatever, you're always going to have a couple of hookups. The, uh, the, the 
the library and the space, man, they were nice space and the library was on top of things. I was yes. really impressed with how well that part of it was being run. Yes, definitely. Because um, I'll be honest, when they said, oh, we're going to have stuff at the library, we're going to have stuff here and there, it's like, oh, how, how are these new venues going to work? It's a bit of a hike to get to this place, but they had pretty full rooms for most of these panels. Yes. So, and it's the same room the podcasting panel is going to be in. Now, granted, we don't have somebody who's played Optimus Prime. We don't have some of the people they have on some of the other panels, including, you know, uh, Bob Picardo, who played the Doctor on Voyager, et cetera, stuff like that. Some some name actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But it was it was fun seeing those people on the stage, uh, and in this case with Nobility, um, Miracle Laurie, who's been on Dollhouse and, and the other actors and stuff. Uh, great cast. Really um, seemed like they had a lot of fun yeah. together on the show uh, when they were putting that together. And I'm looking forward to getting it released and, and checking it out. Now, after that was Space Command, A Hopeful Future. And this was one where I think they could have and should have done a better job with the write-up and the, the panel listings. Because I was almost thinking that this was going to be like a documentary covering various sci-fi shows and having the actors talk about those roles. Whereas, no, it's 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 its own thing. Mm-hmm. It's a, I'm going to say a cross between like a Flash Gordon, Star Trek-ish kind of, you know, with a little Michener-ish stuff baked in. Um, this is a guy, the writer there, uh, had worked on various sci-fi shows, Babylon 5, among others, um, and really had his own passion project he wanted to do. Kicked it out to, to crowdfunding and stuff. Uh, even opened up the submission uh, audition process for the, two of the leads to, mm-hmm. hey, you've got a webcam or whatever, send something in and, and we'll see what we see. And at least three of the actors on the panel were brand new rookie people that he'd found that way. And they, they seemed really good. Yeah. Because we saw some footage and whatnot. And they're acting opposite Robert Picardo, again, from, from Voyager and stuff. Mira Furlan from Babylon 5. They've got Bill Mummy on there. They've got... Um, Bruce Boxleitner. Bruce Boxleitner on there. So they've got a lot of people. Uh, and it was one of those that when he was first doing the Kickstarter stuff, he would get questions and the story kind of grew and grew and grew. So it was originally going to be the first movie. And this may sound a little reminiscent to anyone familiar with the Star Wars uh, history. Became the fourth movie and three before it. Mm-hmm. And another two after it that he's still sketching out or whatever. He's he's pretty much, I think he said he'd written the first four already mm-hmm. and has outlined the other two. So this guy seems to have his ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got the plan. They've got the, the stuff set up. Well, and it was fascinating to me when he was saying that part of what inspired him in what he's writing is that there are a lot of very well-paid writers mm-hmm. who are making a lot of money writing these post-apocalyptic, the world is crashing down around you very shows. dystopic. Yeah. And if you think about it, Falling Skies, mm-hmm. uh, Revolution, yeah. um, Last Ship. The Walking Dead. Well, Last Ship does have a lot of hope, and we're going to come through this to it. So it's the least of these, but it falls into this category for sure. You know, even going back to Dollhouse and some others, a lot of these are the world is is gone to hell, and and we've got to survive. Yeah, and he said that what he was feeling was that this writing wasn't reflecting that 
these people could write this because they were in a loving, supportive, compassionate environment that enabled them to write this, to put this out there, to earn this paycheck, to live on this nice paycheck. Well, he was trying to, to give, again, a sense of, of bright, cheery, optimistic future like Star Trek had painted, mm. you know, among other shows. Yeah, but he still wanted to have the complexities of life, mm -hmm. the complexities of relationships, the my son and I don't have the bond we want. We haven't seen each other in decades and we're going to fix it. So it's not a perfect universe by any means, but there's hope. There's hope, but there's also, like you said, complexities there. Uh, Picardo was talking about how he really enjoyed this role because after playing the hologram and kind of arguing for that side of sentient rights mm -hmm. to be now on the opposite side of that mm -hmm. was a lot of fun for him and gave him just a, a different way to play around with certain themes and stuff that he'd grown accustomed to, but now to see it from a new angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it looks like he turns out a terrific job, which is no surprise to me. Well, and one of the things that I would say was a theme throughout these panels was both give people an opportunity to say yes mm -hmm. in terms of asking them for help and will you do this? But the other thing it was very clear in this panel was if you've seen an actor do something like Picardo as the hologram mm -hmm. and thought, oh my gosh, he's amazing. What if he played the flip side of that coin? Or he would be perfect for this. Go and ask him. Yeah. And where she says is no, you may say yes. It sounds like fun. Well, and this guy was saying, I wrote this role with him in mind mm -hmm. because I'd seen him do this. I wrote this role with Bruce Boxleitner in mind because of one of the roles he'd done. So I sent him the script. Now, this guy has been in the, the business for 25, 30 years. Yes. Knew a lot of these people. So yes. that certainly helped. Definitely. But one of the themes in uh, either Renegades or the Axonar stuff was these guys didn't know most of the actors. And they just said, hey, would you would you be interested? And a lot of them said, well, send us a script. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. But there was definitely a sense of know the talents and have a sense of finding the right person for the role yeah, and yeah. then approach them. And if you have a good, solid character that will interest the actor, they may just surprise you and say, yeah, that sounds good. If, if it's a good role. Yeah. If it's good, solid writing and characterization, why wouldn't they want it? Yeah. Because it gives them the ability to raise awareness on a, a lower budget project or whatever. There's some apparently new SAG thing that I was unaware of, the new media actor. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it was. That allows for these projects to kind of get off the ground um, at a lower budget. Whoops, I just dropped my pen. I'm so sorry for that. Oh, well. Um, but at a lower budget and such and be able to use um, SAG actors and such. So it apparently opened up some possibilities that prior to that SAG ruling or whatever, just weren't possible. Yeah. But that's why we're seeing people like Robert Picardo, Bruce Boxleitner, Mira Ferlin, uh, Ethan Phillips, Christopher Judge, a lot of name sci-fi actors doing mm -hmm. some of these projects, and it seems like they're just having a good time. Yeah. They get to work. They get to do some stuff. Are they making the uber bucks? No, but 
It wouldn't surprise me if they've also got a little bit of a back-end deal going where if it hits huge, yes. they benefit. Well, and uh, the Star Trek Renegades is exploring what's happening in the Star Trek universe. I think they said 10 or 15 years, 15 years after Voyager. After Voyager. And that's a project. That was the next panel we went to. Yeah. That project's being uh, directed by Tim Ross. Yeah. And it, too, had a bunch of name actors. Uh, Walter Koenig. I think Picardo might have been in there, too. Yeah, it's the hologram. And um, one of the guys who played one of the uh, the, the Borg. Eosheb. Yeah. From Voyager is, is reprising his role. Of course, the character's changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And he had a lot to say. And this was the other project that uh, Adrian Wilkinson is in. Yes. So it seems like she's, you know, again, you've got a set of actors that are interested in doing these things and a set of actors, uh, not so much. Well, and these actors were talking about what collaborative medium these projects are. Mm -hmm. That sometimes they'll get multiple rewrites the day of filming. They were saying that on this one because... While they had everything planned out and had a good thing, certain sets weren't quite ready, certain props were, were, were good, some were broken, whatever. And in her case, she's playing like the commander or whatever. It's essentially a dirty dozen in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. You know, Federation needs something done, but they can't really do it. So somebody assembles kind of an off-the-books team that she leads. And a lot of her dialogue was around specifics of the actions taking place. Mm-hmm. And she was saying how she got like, you know, eight rewrites in one day. Yeah. And it was really hard. But she also then very much was clear that these were not just, oh, they were just changing the mind. No, no, no. It's a, okay, we've got to, can't shoot this in this set like we had originally thought. We're going to set it over here. So we've got to tweak this dialogue. But that means this dialogue over in this other scene has got to go change to reflect where we shot this. Mm-hmm. They're got to go with these, these weapons versus those weapons. So, okay, let's tweak this. Mm-hmm. And just making sure that everything still made sense. And a few of them were, hey, somebody had a better idea. Yeah. But it wasn't that they were unprepared or whatever. It's that they had to adapt. Yeah. One of the other themes that was constant across all of these panels is, and I think Richard Hatch in the Axanar one put it uh, pretty well when he, he asked if there was anyone from the studios in the room and was basically saying that, you know, if you guys at the studios aren't afraid, and of course nobody from the studios was there, but if the studios aren't afraid of what this level of crowdfunding can do, they should be. But we saw four fan-level productions, or indie-level, really. I mean, calling them fan is, is I, I think, not the right term anymore, and that was one of the comments that uh, Richard Hatch made in the Axonar panel, but that these guys are creating feature-length films with feature effects, actors... And they're doing it on a comparative shoestring budget because that's all they got. And one of the things that uh, Manu, who played Iacheb, the comment he made was when they realized they needed help with the effects for his uh, Borg arm. Mm, Yeah. He said, you know, I just put comment up on Facebook and asked, can anybody out there do my arm? And within hours, he had a response from somebody saying, yeah. I'd love to do it. And when we mentioned this to a friend at dinner, they were saying, you know, for the person who did it, it's like a resume entry if they ever want to get into the Hollywood thing. Absolutely. Because the first question they'd be asked is, well, prove what you can do. What what have you done? And they could say, well, here, this. It's a win-win for everyone. Yeah. This is where fan activism 
crowdfunding and not just for the financial part of it, but mm-hmm. crowdsourcing the, uh, the acting, the costumes, the technology, the effects, the whole thing just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it's getting to the point where you could do very viable web series or TV shows or whatever you want to call them. Um, on, you know, a crowdfunded basis, and it's really going to put the uh, studios, the networks and stuff in an interesting position. Yeah. Because a lot of these things, if it was, because it was during the Axnar, Star Trek Axnar was the, the, the final panel we went to in that room. And it is another such project where it's telling the story of Garth of Izar, one of the historical people in the Federation that was in one of the original episodes. And it's, it, they've done a, a, a prelude to kind of a 20 minute thing. Here's what it's going to be. The, the footage they showed looked phenomenal. They've got people who know exactly what they're doing. They're planning this to the nth degree. They're, they're doing a lot of things really right. Um, but the, I forget if it was the line director, the effects guy, the guy who was on the far, uh, left as we were looking at the stage. The effects guy, I believe. The effects guy was, was basically saying, and now I've kind of already lost my train of thought. The production triangle, I suspect. The production triangle, you know, either you could do fast, good, or cheap, but you mm-hmm. can't do, you can only have two of those kind of pointing up just the yeah. way it works. But just how, again, all of this can be done effectively and well. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, what he was saying was about Enterprise, because he was involved in some of these shows, how they had figured out, even back then, if they could get the viewers to basically chip in twenty two fifty a month. That was it. They could do four episodes a month yeah. and keep that going in perpetuity. Yeah, but the studio didn't want to hear it. Nope, not at all. Now think about that. Say 25 bucks. Mm. Round up a little. Yeah. If for 25 bucks a month... You could get four episodes of your favorite sci-fi show. Yeah. In perpetuity. In perpetuity at studio level costs. Yeah. Now, consider the fact these guys for all four of these projects are doing similar quality and caliber material with, in some cases, the exact same actors and production people. Yeah. And they're doing it for a fraction of the cost because that's all they got. Yeah. And you got people who are loving what they're doing, doing it as a passion project. Well, and some of them, uh, as one of the guys was pointing out, there are cases where people are coming on board at a fraction of what they normally make so that they can mentor someone just starting out in the industry. You know, and stuff like that. It's it's phenomenal. is kind of an excellent film school sort of a thing. Yeah. Now, the other thing the guys at Axanar had done, they had uh, their fulfillment person on the panel, and she's kind of their communications officer, and she was even in, in Starfleet outfit, which I thought was kind of cool. But they had uh, USS Ares, which I guess is the ship the, the show uses, patches that are kind of like NASA patches. I mean, the thing is a nice-looking patch. Well, they were saying that they had a total of... 10 or 11 patches that can be bought Mm -hmm. as part of the do this to help fund us. They also had posters that were available. They're blueprint posters of the ship. A top view, a bottom view, a front view, a back view, and a side view. 
with, hey, this is where the torpedo launchers are, all that kind of stuff. I mean, these are nice looking posters. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that if if you didn't know Axonar was a fan production, you would think, wow, this is just another thing that Paramount or CBS is, is doing with Star Trek. And it's professionally done. It looks amazing. All the effects on all the stuff we were looking at, uh, you don't think, oh, well, it's some amateur hour kind of a thing. These guys know exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They've got top-notch uh, uh, directors of photography, writers, directors, etc., now, for the when and how things can be seen, uh, Nobility was saying that for people attending Kamikaze, which I'm trying desperately to remember, and I think it's the show Stan Lee has in Santa Monica, but I could be wrong. All right. They're going to be premiering the complete run of Nobility there. Uh, Space Command did not say, as I recall. I think they're still in the editing phase of the first. Space yes. Command, again, six movies. The guy's got some, some, some big ideas. Um, but it looks like it's, it's gonna take up, the, it needs the room. Yes. Um, so this is a multi-year project and he's already been working on it for a while. Yes. But they're editing the first movie at the moment. Yeah. And I don't think they gave a release date for that. I don't know if they gave release dates for the other two. Axonar was in its second day of its kick fund, uh, Kickstarter f- uh, funding. Right, and they were hoping to start filming in January. Yeah. And Star Trek Renegades will be released, they said, on YouTube as a movie. And but- I think they just kicked out the DVDs or Blu-rays like last night. Right. They had sent it out to be put to Blu-ray, and with Axonar, they were, I believe they were the ones talking about a five-disc set available through the Kickstarter. One of the things for the Kickstarters is you could get a five-Blu-ray set that had, or five-disc set that had the soundtrack for Prelude, the soundtrack for for the full Axonar, both of those each on their own DVD, and like a three-hour behind-the-scene deal. On their own Blu-ray. Blu-ray, sorry. Because they were very, very happy with the mafia-level Blu-ray kings making their stuff. Like three of the top guys in the industry who do Blu-ray, either transfers, special features, or whatever. I mean, they got the guys. Because, again, they've been in the industry. They know these people. Yeah. And a lot of people, surprisingly enough, Star Trek fans. Yeah, one guy was joking when he was asked the question of how did you get so many people to chip in and help at discount rates? He said, I said the phrase Star Trek. Yeah. So I like that one. It was a, a fun four hours over in that room from, from 10.30 to 2.30. I got to say, in some ways, the time flew by. It did. It did. It was amazing. All of these guys have some really great projects. It was a lot of fun to see their footage, to hear the actors, um, and just to, to see where they were at and where they were going. Yeah, two of these were projects I knew about from past conventions and wanted to go to panels for. So this is something that, for me, had been on the, gosh, I want to go to list. I think I knew about Nobility, Star Trek Renegades, and Star Trek Axanar, but not Space Command. I hadn't known about Renegades, so you were one up on me. Okay. I think I'd seen uh, the trailers for most of them. Um, so, I'm, again, I'm curious to see when they come out. And I decided not to fund the Prelude to Axanar because the pricing didn't seem worth it for a 20-minute thing. But based on what I saw, uh, I'm definitely going to check out their Kickstarter. 
Yeah. Um, now, after that, we headed over to the convention center um, and pretty quickly parted ways, I think. You yeah. Heading off one way, I was heading off another. Um, this was the day that I pretty much, I mean, I had set out to say, okay, let's start at Nickelodeon, work our way through the first block of booths in D and E, which is where the, the Hasbro stuff is, the Star Wars Pavilion, etc., thinking if I could get that done, I'd be pretty happy. I got that done in pretty short order. It was crowded. It took a little while to dive through some of the booths and whatnot. Um, the floor didn't feel as crowded as I expected it to while I was walking it. There were some very crowded places, but they felt isolated to me as I was walking. It's hard for me to judge in so much as I spent most of the day in uh, halls A, B, and C, okay, which are typically the lower crowded ones. That's true, and I was doing more A, B, and C as well. Because once I finished that first block in D and E, I just said, okay, let's go to the, the Harbor Drive side of things, uh, the first block in C, start at that styling online corner up there, and just work my way past Diamond through the uh, all the other things you know, up in the front. And it was, some of these take a little while. The small press pavilion takes a while, um, just because there's a lot of cool things to go see. And other parts, the Gold and Silver Age pavilion, pretty quick. I'm not buying original art. I'm not buying stuff of, from that era. <coughs> so, I mean, it doesn't take long to, to say, yep, that's out of my price range. That's older than I'm interested in. Just move on. Uh, and then I hit, you know, the posters, the video games. That's all cool. I love looking at that stuff. And then kind of worked my way back through that second block of stuff. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't actually go into the DC booth. Uh, we ducked into there a little the other day, but I haven't gone through. A lot of it's just the costumes from the shows. I enjoyed the costumes, but I gotta say the Flash costume... I was disappointed in the chest emblem because the way it goes over the zipper, it looks like it's going to kind of bounce off when he runs. I was To me, I'm more interested in DC Comics than DC Entertainment. Don't get oh, me I... wrong. I'm loving the TV shows. I get it. I don't need to go into a crowded booth to go stand near a costume. I get it. Um, I still haven't really pulled out my camera at all uh, on the floor. Um, graffiti had some cool shirts. uh for Flash, among other things. Um, walked through around Dark Horse, around Image, Marvel. Backside of Marvel, haven't done the front side, so I really haven't seen the inside of that booth at all yet. Uh, went by Boom, Oni, all the web comics, all the other stuff there. A lot of these are vendors of either comics, toys, you know, whatever. Um, made it all the way down again to the, the hall, uh, far into the hall, uh, A. Where there was uh, the the bluefin distributions, which in past years has had some some super sentai stuff. This year, not so much. Uh, and then I went through the small press and uh, exhibitor tables, and that usually takes a little while, just because it's a little tighter packed uh, in terms of the space. And just trying to figure out what some of these things are and whatnot. Uh, talked to a couple of creators uh, through this whole process. Briefly with Tom Zoller uh, up in the IP Pavilion, with Steve Bryant over in Small Press, a couple other people here and there. Um, but by and large, by the end of that, I had made it all the way over to IDW, which is that back kind of corner between Hall C and D. So aside from the, the booths at the front 
the back and along the end caps of the other aisles, I've pretty much walked the floor. Now, one of the things you picked up uh, over at IDW was the Scorpion comic. Because I am a good co-host. Now, are they going to do this as a regular series? Did you get any explanation as to what's going on with this? I did not get a lot of information. What I got was a, yes, it's definitely tied to the TV show, and they're happy to know people are interested. Well, and they've got fairly good likenesses. This seems to be written by Matthew Davis and art by Augustin uh, Padilla. Padilla, sorry if I mispronounced the name. Um, And is clearly based on the show. Looks like a lot of fun. I did pick up a number of things while I was walking the floor. Now, I haven't sorted these, so I'm just going to kind of go through my stack uh, in whatever order they happen to be in and kind of talk about them as we go. And uh, the first thing I've got is a lanyard from Comic Bento. I talked to the people there, talked actually to their marketing person. Oh, good. About getting an affiliate box, uh, and we talked about what they tend to have in it and stuff like that and how I get a lot of comics, so maybe for me it's not a great deal. But she was saying how it's 20 bucks, maybe 1995, whatever, 20 bucks we'll say, plus $5 shipping. You get four trades, and like in the selection they were showing, one of them was a Marvel trade for 25 bucks. So just right there, you're breaking even. Yeah. Plus, you get at least three other trades. And they look like, I mean, they're standard Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, you know, Dynamite, whatever. And these apparently do not show up, by and large, in the diamond numbers. They're doing deals directly with the publishers. Here's what our theme is. Here's what we were thinking. Can we swing a deal? That kind of a thing. Nice. I'm not positive if that really doesn't show up with the diamond number. Some of the stuff I'm seeing indicates maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Uh, I asked if they had a list of what all was in all the boxes. They pointed me to the page that had the unboxing videos. So I was hoping just for an itemized list. But really cool people. I think they've got a great idea. Uh, were I not so um, thoroughly covering a lot of the content? Again, I think in most months I'm going to have the content of three of the four trades. Yeah. Me, personally, I read too much for it to be worth it. Most people, I think it's an awesome deal. If you're looking if just, hey, you want to read some, some some trades and whatnot based on a theme, this may be a very cost-effective way to do it and a fun way to do it. Well, and I wonder if it's a way to get a young reader hooked or started. Quite possibly. So I'm going to – I gave them my card. I got their card. Uh, we're going to have further discussions just to see if there's some, some mutually beneficial things we could do because, again, I think it's a cool concept. And again, one of our listeners had pointed it out to us, so it was on my list to, to go check out. Uh, as I was walking through the Star Wars Pavilion, I got handed a Star Wars Force for Change um, uh, bracelet thing. Um, that was kind of cool. One of the other things that was in that area over at the Gentle Giant booth, um, it was. I'm, I'm really glad I went to this one. It uh, was... Uh, 3D systems showing off some of their technology. The Cube 3D printer, the Cube Pro 3D printer, the... I thought I had another one in here somewhere. Anyways, maybe one of their other ones. Uh, but also a Touch 3D stylus, which uh, sounds cooler than it seems to be. And then the iSense scanner, and I'm really glad I talked to him. He was showing it off with a um, Surface Pro 2. Mm, mm-hmm. It's like, okay, so it'll work with a, a PC. This is a scanner, and it's mainly geared for, like, life-size things that you want to do smaller versions of. Ah. 
So the resolution's not what I would want for like scanning action figures or something like that. But if you wanted to scan a person and turn them into an action figure, it'd be a pretty good starting place. Nice. Um, so it was cool. Uh, convinced me for, for what I would want, probably not the right thing. But the output man of these cube printers looked really impressive, really cool. Those things go for about a thousand bucks or whatever. So, uh, more than I'm gonna pay at the moment until I either get really good at finding a scanning solution or just, you know, uh, 3D modeling again. Um, up in the front block of stuff, I talked to one of the guys at Comics Mix Pro, actually bumped into a friend of ours, Steve Saffel. Oh, nice. Uh, he seems to be doing well. And was talking to the guy. Um, and what Comics Mix Pro is, is they are a, I'm trying to think what's the best way to phrase this. They're kind of sort of a consulting service slash, <coughs> kind of sort of a consulting service slash, I don't say fulfillment house or publisher, but suppose you've got an idea. You've got the story, you've got the art, but you need a, a letter, you need an inker, you need a colorist, you need an editor, you need somebody to help get it printed, you need to get fulfilled, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, apparently, I forget if he said if it was Kickstarter or Indiegogo, might have been Indiegogo, has been sending a lot of people their way of, okay, we've gotten the crowdfunding, we've got the book, now what do we do? So this is the guy, uh, these guys have done a lot of work with IDW and other published, I forget if it was IDW, I forget which exact ones, but he... Basically help them traffic their books. Nice. They know how to do this stuff. Marketing, promotion, planning, crowdfunding, business services, uh, distribution, printing, etc. And it was really interesting talking to the guy because I've got some ideas for comics. I also don't know how to do all of this stuff. And that's that's the, the, the service they're providing. Mm -hmm. Now, I've got some other friends I can ask and stuff like that, but... You know, not everybody has that, and I wouldn't necessarily want to lean on friends for some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, so getting some some guidance as to, okay, who can I get for lettering? Who can I get for this, that, or the other? Um, don't know that I'll make any use of them immediately, but Comics Mix Pro seems like a really good resource for the industry to have. Mm -hmm. um, I stopped by the Shout Factory booth to find out if they were going to be releasing any more Super Sentai stuff, and they said, you should go to our panel tomorrow. We may or may not be making an announcement around that. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know if I'll be able to, but maybe I'll swing by Sunday and ask. And they said, eh, it might work too. Uh, I'm hoping, these are the guys who did the, they also asked if I followed the Power Ranger stuff, and I said, yeah, I got the 20 season set. They seemed happy with that. Because they did a really awesome uh, 20 season set for Power Rangers. Um, they also released uh zoo ranger which is the series mighty Morphin power rangers was originally based on mm. it's the only japanese since i show to get an official full release in the u.s with uh english uh, uh subtitles and such haven't watched it yet looking forward to it um one of the other places i went by was roddenberry entertainment picked up one of their uh, postcards for the white room which is a 360 viewing experience where you can follow the story and kind of look around as if you're your own cameraman and inside of their location for the story. I'm very curious about that because I think 360 cinematography and such has some really crazy challenges to it, mm -hmm. and both in terms of, of physically filming it. Mm -hmm. you know, where do you put the crew? You, you, it's not like you can shoot towards a set that's only got three sides of it. You need all four and you need to be in there. Yeah. But then also, how do you keep the focus where it needs to be kept? Yeah. Yet let people look around and such. 
So I'm, I'm very curious how it, it works. Tamlin Tamita, who was in the pilot for Babylon 5, is in there. And... Breckenmeyer? Breckenmeyer, thank you, from Franklin Abash. And I think a few of the other people... Uh, that looks like one of the guys from uh, Stargate Universe. Not sure. Um, I could be wrong. Anyways, it looks like, uh, again, another kind of... Again, I don't know if it was crowdfunded or not, but one of these things where... A non-studio production is coming in and really raising the game for everybody. Mm-hmm. So very curious about that. Uh, swung by Comixology, picked up a free digital copy code for Exo Man of War, which I believe you got me a print copy of. Or, Not no, me. Linda did. I was going to say one of your better sisters got you a copy of that. Uh, also picked up the Comicologists, which is apparently a podcast uh, that they do. Uh, about recommendations on what to go read. So, curious about checking that out at some point. Uh, picked up a discount code for Loot Crate, because I could probably use that at some point. Uh, Skybound over Image had a postcard on how to become an insider for their stuff and, and get maybe a discount on some stuff. One of the other booths I went to, and it was pretty interesting, was, uh, Reillusion. And they were demoing Crazy Talk 7, which animates images with your voice. And I'm thinking, you know, I talk a lot. I record a lot of what I talk about for these podcasts, oddly enough. And if it could, we're doing this on two separate tracks. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We're close enough, there's some bleed over, whatever. Where in theory, I could take my track, take a picture of me or a cartoon image of me, put some key points around the eyes, the mouth, and so forth, and it would automatically turn that with this audio to make the mouth move and stuff. That'd be funny. And then I could take your track and do a similar thing. And then maybe put this on YouTube as a still spoken word, but something to at least look at. Now, the problem with that, Mm -hmm. because I was saying, oh, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you could definitely do that. I'm like, so how long would that take for an hour-long podcast? Their head stopped nodding, and they're like, well, you might need to break it up. Okay, okay. It's a lot of work for processing, and they said for a five-minute thing, it would take about 10, 15 minutes. Okay, got it. I've got a beefy machine, maybe a little faster, whatever. Uh, So for an hour-long thing, oh, yeah, you'd need to break it up to a lot of things. Works on a PC. Okay, good, good. Uh, Can you do command-line interface? In other words, can I automate this? Uh, No, not really. So... They've got a special at the show. It's 29 bucks. It sounds cool. Um, gimmicky, maybe. But if I were to want to put the podcast on uh, a, a video, again, a YouTube kind of a thing, maybe get some more uh, audience that way or whatever, this seems like a viable way to potentially do it. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you and I are face-to-face, but... You know, TJ, Sam, Drew, all of them are in other cities and such. I could get some image to use for them, whatever. But what I don't want to do at this point is add a lot of my time to more episode production work. Yeah. I just, I don't have it. Yeah. So, seems cool. Probably not going to do anything on it. But if you swing by the booth, be curious to see what you think. Uh, Did find the booth for the uh, Michael Midas Champion uh, book one. Got the... Preview for that, not the first copy, but I got a copy. Uh, Jordan B. Gorfinkel, uh, one of the editors of Batman back in the day. Scott Benefell, friend of the show. Awesome guy. Um, looking forward to that. Uh, that was uh, more stuff for the Cube. 
uh, went by Red 5, talked to those guys, um, told them I was a little surprised Atomic Robo has kind of moved on. They're like, yeah, we were a little bummed by that too, but, you know, mutual parting of the ways worked out for everybody. Their contract had ended, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they wish them the best of luck. I think that's cool. They're looking for a few things to fill in that, that gap. That was one of their most recognizable names. Uh, for their lineup, they've added a Kaiser Soze series based on the uh, usual suspects. They, too, have more announcements coming through for Khan, so I'm looking forward to what they do. I've been a, a big supporter, big fan of them. Uh, I'm not going to say necessarily since they started, because I'm not positive that's true, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty close to that. These guys have had a pretty good track record of greenlighting projects that are in line with my tastes. Mm. So I've been a big supporter of them with Atomic Robo and a number of their other properties, um, and my... My only disappointment with them is is that they don't do more work because it, it takes a while to do quality stuff, and I get that. I don't want them to rush stuff out, but there are times where it's like, hmm, I haven't been getting enough of their comics lately. Mm-hmm. But you know, they're gonna they're 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 gonna do quality work that takes time, and I'd rather they take the time and and find the right projects, get the right people on it, get it out when it can come out on a regular basis, than publish for the sake of publishing. Yes. And again, over the years, they've done just some phenomenal job, both with Atomic Robo that's now over at IDW, and with a lot of their other property, uh, all their other properties that I've I've read. I think I've enjoyed. Um, they've also got a Kickstarter thing going on. Um, I'm not sure what stage it's in, but they're experimenting in that area, and it's they're they're probably going to do these things anyways. I think this is a good way though for a publisher to maybe prioritize what they do when. Uh, find a way to kind of get uh, uh, reader engagement, give them better deals on the stuff, yet still get it out to the mass market or the direct market through Diamond later. Um, it's a good way to, to, again, gauge interest and mitigate some risk. Uh, one of the places I was at, actually, I think I picked this up on the freebie table at the end of the day, Power Morphicon for uh, 2016. Had talked to somebody as I was walking over uh, about that. Uh, seemed to think it was a really good show, uh, in the past at a lot of vendors that might be able to get me some of the Super Sentai stuff I'm interested in. Uh, went by first, second, picked up, uh, one of their flyers. They're the ones who did the recent sculptor hardcover from, uh, Scott McCloud. Uh, as I was walking by the Dark Planet booth, uh, they, uh, engaged me and wanted to tell me about Silver. And I, normally it's one of those things, it's like, you know, I just want to keep moving. But they were nice. They were really cool. And they actually have a really good concept. It's basically about, uh, let me see if I can remember the pitch. Uh, vampires and instead of it being like a Dracula's time, it's rolled forward to the pulp era. Got a bunch of con men who are trying to steal the silver from the vampires. Because nothing could possibly go wrong with that. It's like, okay, that's a clever concept. I like that idea. Uh, whether I like it enough to go back and go pick the stuff up, don't know. Uh, they got the Russ Manning Award last year for Most Promising Newcomer, which is what the Russ Manning Award is. Uh, Steve Bryant got that uh, years ago for Athena Voltaire and stuff. So nice. um, it, it means they've got some quality material. Uh, talk to one of the guys at Comic Base. Uh, I always check in to see what they've got. And... I like what they claim they offer, and I say claim in so much as I've never really played in depth with their software, and part of that is uh, it's expensive software. The base version is over 50 bucks. The full-blown, you know, Blu-ray archive with all the information is like $339, and it's like, 
this is a yearly subscription. I've known other people who use it. It's quality software. Doesn't do necessarily everything I need or want. And I really don't want to pay that price. But certainly if you've got a, a large collection, there was a guy behind me uh, as I was leaving asking about it and how much it cost. And the guy in the booth, his first question is, well, how big's your collection? And the guy's like, ah, about a thousand comics. And he's like, well, then you probably want the express version for 50 bucks versus the professional for 110. The yeah. arc, you know, it's like, okay, scale it up. That makes sense. Um, but you kind of got to charge those prices when you have a very niche art, uh, uh, audience. Yeah. Whereas the software I'm currently using, Comic Collector from Collector Z, they use the same basic software also for books, games, music, uh, uh, videos, and stuff like that. And therefore, they can leverage across a wider audience. Uh, picked up one of the brochures from Shout Factory. There was another one at, I forget which booth, for the Bitten stuff that I know you're mm. kind of curious about. Yes. Uh, we picked up the flyers for the Renegades. Apparently, they're doing a board game in connection to um, the Star Trek Renegades. Um, or maybe it's not even... I'm not even positive this is based on those Renegades. I'm a little confused by this, to be honest. It was the postcard they said to pick up at the uh, panel, but it was hard to tell how connected it was, so we'll have to read more. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Picked up the brochure Shout Factory again. It's easy to pick up a lot of... This is the other one, the Echo Cycle Cube, where it will recycle its own stuff for a 3D printer. Kind of cool. Oh, how fine. It's easy to pick up a lot of stuff uh, walking around. All too easy. Um, one of the ones that I thought about getting, but I want to see how much it costs on uh, Amazon or somewhere else first. The Death of Superman Lives, kind of a, a documentary on what happened to the Kevin Smith, Nick uh, Cage Superman movie. They wanted, I think, 30 bucks for the Blu-ray, and I didn't feel like parting with 30 bucks. Um, I also talked to the guys over at Fargo, uh, Fargo Comics. It's a uh, free app for free comics. Uh, it's got some stuff from Valiant, IDW, uh, some other publishers, including Creative Impulse uh, Entertainment, which is our friend uh, Jan uh, Lucanus, mm -hmm. who does uh, did um, uh, Justice for Hire. So I'd heard about them before. They seem to have some cool stuff. Uh, they were going to show me some of it, but it's one of those where they got to connect to the cloud. And doing that in the middle of a busy convention center full of geeks, not so easy. And then I was over at one of the book publishers in the front block, um, and they had a really cool-looking book for, uh, you know how we saw the owner's manuals for the mm -hmm. Death Star and stuff? For mm -hmm. Marvel vehicles. Oh, nice. I'm like, that's kind of cool. And I gave him one of the cards for the previous spotlight saying, you know, I've got a podcast. I do this. If you've got some cool stuff when it's in previews, because I hadn't heard about that. Send a short clip in. Let my listeners know. Oh, what kind of listeners you got? Whatever. And I explained. And then they gave me a copy of The World According to Iron Man. Now, they've just changed up the format of this because they used to be doing it at the same price point, but smaller, more squarish hmm. kind of a thing. And it just wasn't really clicking with the audience. They were trying to figure out what, why it wasn't. Yeah. It was a little bit of an odd shape and some stuff like that. But they're doing things like where they've got a Stark certificate for the, uh, the in, uh, Stark Industries share, uh, stock share, and stuff like that. And it it looks kind of cool. It's I don't say like a pop up book, but it's something like I'd almost say it's got hidden treasures in. It. Yeah, like a, a 
they've also other publishers. I don't know if it was this one or not. Have done kind of the book museum sort of a deal mm-hmm. where you've got the artifacts in the book, and this is that same sort of a deal. Mm-hmm. So it's a cool concept, and I want to I want to dig into it and see what I think. In this case, uh, Larry Hama was one of the writers. He's best known for GI Joe, um, and the illustrations by Mirko Pura Federkariki. Uh, the name actually, despite my butchering it, sounds familiar. Um, so either he's done some comic stuff or I know his name from somewhere else. So that was some of the stuff I picked up. Again, I did a lot of walking around today, uh, covered most of the floor. Um, and I'm glad there's not a quiz at the end. I, I don't know how well I would do on that kind of a thing. It's one of those, it's in, in through the eyes and, uh, it doesn't doesn't register for long because it's just so sensory overload at it this is. place. It is. I saw a lot of cool stuff, talked to a lot of cool people, but it's it's crazy. I mean, the the they all blur together. The crowds were not horrible, but I hit a number of photo bubbles that were ill placed. Photo bubble, for those who haven't heard me use the term before, is you're walking down, somebody in a costume is there, somebody with the camera is there, they, they make eye contact, at which point a, a bubble forms of empty space after the conversation. Hey, can I take your photo? Oh, yeah, sure. Let me strike a pose. So what goes from two people who are standing a few feet apart, you know, literally a foot or two apart, to now a few people that are now standing about 10 feet apart, essentially with empty space blocking traffic somehow. And then other people see this, oh, they're taking photos, oh, I better get my camera out, and it just kind of replicates. And there are times I'm trying to do a U-turn around one of these blocks of booths, and it's just, I, I can't. Yeah. Either because of a photo bubble or because somebody who's sitting there you know, texting on their phone and not looking where they're not going, or somebody who's not sure where they want to go next, and they just stop. Or it's too crowded, so I've got to stop so somebody can go forward, so I can go forward in their places. This con used to have people more adept at walking through cons. And as the photo opportunities increase, as the texting increases, and that's not a new phenomenon, but it seems to have gotten a little out of control in some places. And there are a lot of places where I just felt like I was just stopping short of, of getting where I was going because I just couldn't get there. Let them give it a sec. Okay, fine. They finally moved, whatever. But there are a lot of times, it's like, hey, excuse me, I'm trying to get through that sort of a deal. And it's not like I'm rushing through being a, a bull in a china shop, but a lot of people, mm. a lot of shiny objects. Yes. It's going to be slow. Yeah. But it was a fun day. Um, I had thought about going to a panel on the uh, a documentary about Back to the Future, and it was upstairs, got in the line, and I'm like, you know, this is a pretty long line. I'm pretty sure I can get in. But I think they're going to fill like every seat. And it was getting to around dinner time when we were thinking we had plans. Mm-hmm. So I figured, okay, let's, in case the other people are ready early, which they were, mm-hmm. I bailed out. And it worked out well. It gave me a chance to go hit the freebie table, which I found the Power Morphicon thing. And I think that was about it. Really not much there. Uh, and then meet up for dinner. So while I was doing all of that, what were you doing? Uh, well, we actually broke apart just before the trolley tracks. Okay. Well, which. Gave me a chance to bump into the sci-fi team, which was giving out, which had had been billed as a uh, dark matter trade, which I admit, I am not the comic book reader 
on this podcast. No, you are not. But this is a pamphlet. <laughs> you may trade this, but it is... <sighs> I think the person who told me I could look for the dark matter trade out by the trolley tracks from the uh, street team was misinformed. I was thinking it was half the size of a comic, but it's not. It's a little wide. Imagine, um, oh, imagine a comic that you left out in the rain and it shrunk to where it was about an inch and a half thinner and about two inches shorter. It looks like it would fit in a Blu-ray case. Just about. And that's actually not a bad plan because, uh, a matter of fact, I would really hope they do that. Because it's, I'm going to say, 16 pages-ish. Wild guess, it's in plastic, so I haven't opened it up to know for sure. If you got that in the D, uh, the the DVD or the Blu-ray case, and it's like, okay, it fits in. Although I think it's too big for that by a little bit. Uh, and then say, oh, this is the comic it's based on. Mm -hmm. That might get you enough to go pick up the actual trade paperback, uh, of which this is nowhere near. Um but it's cool they did that. It's a f great free giveaway, particularly for a show that just started up on yeah. TV. Yeah. Um, so, but I did find it entertaining that having been told by a friend to look for the trade, mm -hmm. this is what I was given. And it was well-timed. And actually, if I had been thinking I would not have buried it in my backpack, I would have kept it more accessible because I went straight from there inside. I found the Dark Horse booth and managed to be fourth person from the end of the line for the Dark Matter signing. Nice. But, of course, this was now buried in my backpack, inaccessible. Uh, but I got to go through the signing, and I had a wonderful time. Uh, all of the actors who were present were incredibly nice. Uh, Roger Cross, who plays Six, saw me pulling out my camera, wanting to take photos, and uh, basically gave me the look of, should I be smiling? And I assured him I was not stalking him yet, that I'd be doing that mm -hmm. when I got closer. Uh, and he smiled and laughed at that. And uh, I told him, you know, that I'd been watching him since he was on First Wave and his eyes just got big because that show was on back in the 90s. And I told him I was going to make a deal with him. If I told him I started watching that when it first aired yesterday, as a brand new show, then he could just smile and nod and say, yes, that's when it first aired as a brand new show mm -hmm. yesterday. And neither of us are so old. We remember last entry. We're in agreement. Well, and he's also the guy who played um, on Arrow, uh, Quentin um, Lance's partner. Yes, he was a detective on Arrow. He's on Continuum. Great actor. And I really like the role he's got on Dark Matter because it shows a a nicer side to him, if you know what I mean. It does. It shows just depth and his talent. And he was having so much fun at the signing. Mm -hmm. You know, he and one of the other actresses who I believe she plays five. Yeah. Uh, they were getting into a, a little bit of, we'll call it a Sharpie war. Because they were at the far end of the line and people were getting slowed down a little uh, by the ones ahead of them. So they were just, you know, paint marking one another while they waited for uh. people to get to them. So that was kind of entertaining to watch. 
uh, Melissa, one of the actresses who plays one, was the first person you got to. They were basically lined up in numerical lore. Makes sense. Yeah. And she was just so politely introducing herself to everybody. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Melissa. How are you today? Thank you for coming. Yeah. I like it when they do that. I mean, a lot of the fans know their names and stuff, but we don't know them. They don't know us. Yeah. And for them to not presumable, of course you know who I am. Yeah. Yeah. She was just so gracious and so sweet and so appreciative that all these people had turned out and had actually seen the episodes that have aired. And she and Anthony Lemke were saying, you know, we film these things six or seven months before you see it. Yeah. We have no idea if it'll be well received or not. So all these months later to find out, oh, wow, somebody did actually enjoy that work we did. Well, and again, three, maybe four episodes, I think, have aired at this point. Yeah. And again, I like when they take the the uh, approach of, hey, we're still trying to earn you as an audience or whatever. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed in the morning at the uh, the web stuff is most of those kind of figured you'd already seen the trailers and kind of already knew about their project. Yeah. Not, hey, I saw this in the panel listing and it sounds cool. Yeah. And I get it, but, you know, particularly for a show like Dark Matter that's just gotten on the air, Mm -hmm. treating it like, hey, again, you may not know who I am yet. Yeah. Well, and the actors from Dark Matter, there was two kids, actually, several people in front of me, and one of them was a little boy in first grade, and they were standing up so that they could look over and see his eyes. They were asking him how to correctly spell mm-hmm. his name and making sure, you know, having him tell them the letters. You know, and, oh, you're in first grade. And Anthony Limke was saying, you know, I have a daughter who's in second grade, but she told me first grade's not that hard. Your parents have already taught you the stuff. You'll be fine. And so, so it was just so great to watch the way they interacted with everybody. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then today was basically my afternoon to hit the booths as you did and hit the book publishers. Uh, I made my stop to get Mad Libs. Um, one of the ones that I picked up was a book called Childhood's End, which is going to have a tie in to sci fi, which I hadn't heard of yet. Apparently, it's going to be a three-night miniseries event based on the novel by Arthur C. Clarke, who also wrote uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. I am unfamiliar with Childhood's End, um, and it'll be airing in December. Wow. Yeah. So, I got us each a copy, so we could check that out. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time just walking the booths, uh, picking up books. I went to a signing for one of the authors I like. And honestly, I just enjoyed getting to walk the floor. Again, that was one of my goals for today was I know tomorrow we're going to spend some time at the library with the podcasting panel. We've got one or two other things in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make some progress. I was surprised how much I made, to be honest. Uh, aside from, again, doing the, uh, as you look at the map of the exhibit hall, the left to right long aisles mm-hmm. to look at the end caps, to look at the stuff at the front and the back of the hall, uh, I pretty much covered the place. I, um, with the chance, I got to do the Oculus Rift at the last ship, mm-hmm. which was my first time ever doing an Oculus Rift. 
And, you know, they have this great warning sign that says, please consult your doctor before doing this. And I'm like, well, fortunately, one of my friends is a doctor. Hey, doctor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and it says, uh, please use your best judgment before participating. I'm like, oh, man. My best judgments required. I thought about doing that with you guys, but one, I was walking the hall. And two, uh, Comic-Con is enough of a sensory overload for me hmm. that it didn't seem like a good time to go stand in a line in a noisy part of the hall to go do a, a virtual reality kind of a thing for a little bit. Well, and they say it might make you dizzy, it might make you nauseous, is that the other? Um, and they told you, told us to either uh, like loosen your grip on the controls or one or two other things to let them know when you wanted to be done. And I got to a point where, you know, I was doing pretty good with it. But I'm like, you know, I understand after a while why they say this might make you dizzy, etc. Yeah. And I got to one point where I'm like, okay, I know perfectly well if I, because it's a first person shooter. Mm -hmm. If I shoot the fire extinguisher on the wall, the fire goes out and I can proceed. But quite frankly, I'm just nauseous and dizzy enough from the way this game feels that I bet if I step into the fire, the game's over and I can leave now. Versus just relaxing your grip on the controller. You chose to get incinerated. <laughs> all right, all right. No, I did relax my hand and grip. And he says, did you go up in flames and everything explode? Uh-huh. Yeah. I didn't say how I got to his desired end place. Again, it seemed like fun, but to me, I tend to be, uh, again, sensory overload is a good way to put it. Um, I heard more than one person saying they were getting a headache from just all of the input on the floor. And while I would comment, I refer to it as a migraine maker. They would just look at me in surprise and then say, you know, you're right. Well, I, I was talking yesterday about how the um, the booth for the sci-fi museum that they're putting together, mm, mm -hmm. which was buried over, you know, in uh, Hall E, surrounded by stuff. I, I literally could not hold a conversation with those people. Yeah. Um, it was too loud. And for me, I it's not necessarily that my eyes glaze over and I move on, but I'm going through, I'm scanning what's at the booths and that kind of a thing and, and literally moving on. I had thought maybe this year, oh, I'll just go slower. I'll hmm. spend more time. And it quickly became clear to me, in many of these cases, I don't need to. Yeah. It's anime. Awesome. People who love anime, spend as much time as you want there. I'm going to see if it has anything with the Super Sentai stuff, the one or two anime things I care about, and then I'm going to move on. Yeah. You know? Well, I was looking at the loot crate booth, and they have two crates. Mm -hmm. One's creatures, and the other is cosmic. And they asked me if I had any questions, and I'm like, well, I can tell you creatures isn't my thing, and that's the only one you have in stock at the moment. Yeah. And I said, well, we'll have more cosmic tomorrow. Okay, question answered. I can walk away, you know? And that's the thing. Every booth has sort of a hit factor for each individual walking by. Either that's your shiny object or it's not. Absolutely. And I was thinking at one point today that I tend to go with a vote with your shirt sort of mentality at Comic-Con. And I try to share the love. DC shirt one day, Marvel shirt another day, that kind of a deal. But I'm thinking that's the wrong approach. I should find out, figure out ahead of time, what do I want to buy? 
I should get a shirt set made up that basically says, I am looking for thus and so. Please sell me your shiny Power Ranger. At this point, I am looking for some of the Japanese morphers. Mm -hmm. And if I basically have something, be it a a Power Ranger shirt or something that screams, that's what I'm looking for. It gives them what they need. Oh, I could sell him this. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to work with the people to to spend my money. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think to do that this year. And again, a lot of it is I don't need trading cards. I don't need more action figures unless they're particular ones I care about. I don't need more pop vinyl stuff. There's plenty of that to, to find, though. And if people are looking for that, awesome, great. I hope they find what they're looking for. Uh, I know what I personally want to spend money on. I know there are a couple things I have been tempted to spend money on. The That Superman DVD, the, uh, the, the Bluetooth communicator that I absolutely positively do not need, but find looking, find really cool. Um, there's other stuff I'd rather spend my money on than that. That's part of why I always get so tempted by so many of the panels. I love walking the exhibit hall floor, but the panels are less likely to tempt me to spend money right now. One of the things I enjoyed, and I'm not sure entirely when it stopped, I'm going to go with maybe five years ago, but that's a guess, is I would be able to walk the hall floor like I did today. And today was where all the comic publishers were, all that kind of stuff, the small press, Indie press, uh, etc., and I would find a new comic book. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is a cool concept. I like this. Man, the art's amazing. I remember when you used to be so excited about a comic book that you'd be showing it to me at dinner that night. Yeah, there was one I'd found that had like a a, a ninja's tail or something like that a couple of years back. Toopy doops. It was a great find. Uh, things of that nature. I'm not finding that. Mm-hmm. At all. Yeah. There are a lot of people, and I, I, some of these are great creators. I love talking with them and stuff, but it's like they don't even have a new issue sometimes every year. And I get it. It's hard to do that. Mm-hmm. But there are some people, it's like, you know, I'm walking by in um, uh, the, the small press area, and there was one publisher that I'd picked up five or six of their things, and read them and said, you know, they they, they they weren't as good as I thought. Uh, they were black and white things. They were just unimpressive. They sounded cool, though. And I think they're selling the exact same issues still, mm. not new issues and stuff. Yeah, Whereas yeah. there are other publishers. Again, you know, um, I get not everybody having a new thing every year. It's hard to do if you've got a day job, you've got other stuff, whatever. But when you don't have that new issue for me to get every year, it's not like I can get your comic and catch up every San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, the few that I would want to do that with, uh, it's hard for me to remember that from year to year, which those would be. And in one or two cases, uh, uh, there's another one I'm thinking of. Um, again, don't want to name names because none of these are bad guys. They're, they're, they're doing great work when they get around to doing it. Yeah. But there was one comic I was reading. It's like, okay, I got issue one one year, two the next, three the next, and in me. And that's being generous. I don't think those were on consecutive years. Mm. And I don't know that a fifth issue ever came out. And it got to the point where I just didn't care anymore. Yeah. It was a cool concept at first, but it didn't have the momentum to carry those delays. Mm-hmm. Other creators, yeah, I love going. I, I'll talk with them. I will wait until they have the next thing. You know, if if Tom Zoller decides he's going to work on other people's projects, or properties, whatever, and not do another creator-owned thing for another decade – 
I would be mightily disappointed, but man, I'm always going to go talk with him and find out what he's up to. He's a cool guy. And the fact that he's doing long distance now, he did Love and Caves before, I've picked up some of his older work um, through, you know, uh, mycomicshop.com and whatnot. There are certain creators I will follow. Yeah. And I love that they come here, but it's it's harder and harder for them to do. And I was talking with him today about this sort of a thing. It's just I'm not finding the new stuff, and I'm not expecting to. Yeah. Those creators are having a hard time coming to the show because of how expensive it is. There's the cost of the table, but then there's the cost of the hotel, the food, the lodging, the, the time off from your day job or whatever. Um, but it's getting to where I'm not finding enough of the cool things to go spend my money on, mm-hmm. which is fine. I'm, I'm happy not spending my money on that, but I'm, I'm looking, f- I've, I've got enough things I'm interested in. It shouldn't be hard for me to find in the space of 10 football fields stuff thinking, gosh, I have got to have it. Here's all of my money. Let me go to the ATM and get more. Yeah. Um, and I've only had, again, one or two things that are cool, but I, 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 the Star Trek communicator, awesome, great looking product. The guy did a phenomenal job. I have zero need for something that is essentially a Bluetooth speaker phone for my phone. But as they said at the Axonar panel, all you really have to do is say Star Trek. And again, it's cool stuff, but, and I'm not saying I won't get it. I just, uh. Wish I was finding either more of the Japanese Sentai toys I was looking for, or more new comics uh, uh, that I was unaware of, or something. There's an opportunity to be had there, and when people say, oh, people just aren't spending money. Yeah. If I was seeing something, we were talking with uh, with our friends the other night about how, uh, like somebody, uh, Tom Zoller has a print that's the uh, various doctors from Doctor Who. Awesome looking thing. Sooner or later, Capaldi's going to retire. Somebody else is going to take it. his place as the doctor, and that thing will be obsolete. Mm-hmm. I've been watching Doctor Who long enough. That's happened three or four times already. Now, if this was something where it was trading card deals, and I was pretty confident, yeah, this guy's going to be around forever. I, I, I've seen him on these shows, whatever. And I can get the individual ones knowing that the next one would just fit on the, the, mm-hmm. the collection. Hey, sure. You know, or if, hell, if somebody had something like that for the Power Ranger, the Super Sentai, or the Teen Titans, or the Justice League, or the X-Men, or whatever, where it's, wow, that's really great art. I love this stuff. And it's got a collect, not collectability to it, but a complete the set or mm-hmm. a sense of, of fullness to it. Mm-hmm. Yet I could get an individual installments. And he's lightweight and not hard to carry around. Yeah. All over that. As someone who picked up a lot of books from publishers today because I kept reading back covers going, oh, wow, that does sound interesting. I agree. Lightweight does sound good. Or just, again, the Back to the Future props I mentioned yesterday. Some of those would be cool. I saw somebody who'd done a, a either it was a replica or was the actual set prop for the sliders timer. mm if somebody had a consumer-grade toy for the Omni from Voyagers, yes, boom, money on the table right there. Yeah. So it's not that I'm not wanting to spend money. It's just I've got enough stuff that finding something I don't have that I, that I do want, not hard, not happening. Yeah. So. so after we did all of that stuff, we met up around 6.37-ish, 6.45, yeah. we'll say. 6.45, 
uh, met up at the, what we call CNC, Command and Control, because uh, it's just a funny name. And it comes from ba- uh, Babylon 5, which is where they would be, the bridge of the station, essentially. And it's the mezzanine le- uh, level behind uh, Hall B, where the back escalators are behind the small press pavilion. Goes to a middle layer before you get up to the sails. It used to be a great place to kind of overlook the entire convention center before it like doubled in size, and now you can only overlook like half the convention center. If that. If that. We met there, and the reason we met there is so we could go out the back, go down, and go hit uh, Joe's Crab Shack. It was an excellent plan. It oh, really was. It was. It, it was uh, really good food. It was. It, it was. was really good service with one minor problem. Oh, yeah. Uh, one meal came, and it had stuff people were allergic to. Irony? Was not my meal. Was not your meal. I know. And, you know, the funny thing is that the person had not mentioned the allergy because the item they were allergic to was not in the meal they ordered. They were allergic to shellfish, and it had shrimp. That was a problem. Got sent back. Mm-hmm. Oh, they'll rush it. It'll just be another eight eight minutes or something. Five seven. minutes. I heard seven. Anyway, we'll eight, see. but five probably. And then I'm going to say 15, 20 minutes later, it came out again with shrimp again. Yeah. So by that point, the the server was very apologetic the first time, as was the manager. When it came out again, they were really beside themselves. Turns out they'd gotten, I guess, a substitute person or an additional person in the kitchen to help out with the load. He from, misunderstood. Yeah, there was just a, a literally communication problem. And once they got that squared away, uh, our friend ordered something else. Uh, mm-hmm. He used the lobster and crab. Yeah. She gave me some of the lobster. Oh, God, that lobster was amazing. I had had the uh, bucket of shrimp. Yeah. Now, this is the first time I think I've ever eaten at Joe's uh, Crab Shack. First time for me as well. Um. But I've known for years they've had a, a gluten-free menu, and I've been wanting to do it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one opportunity that just didn't happen for me because, well, I just wasn't invited, which is kind of annoying. Anyways, uh, this was a, a great meal. And, man, uh, as much as I enjoyed the shrimp, uh, if we go again, I'm getting the lobster. Well, it was funny because we had all thought it was so convenient, and we were going before the hall closed. Yeah. And it would be a nice, reasonably – timed meal so we thought we would be back to the hotel closer to nine yeah um didn't quite happen that way because the meal had to keep being re-prepared and our friend felt so bad because she's like i normally don't have a problem ordering meals yeah i normally don't have to mention the allergy when you know shrimp isn't even part of the meal and, and for us, it wasn't a big deal. We've been in that position. Oh, and I totally get the, hey, I'm sorry, it's taking longer, whatever. It's it's not that person's fault. No, not at all. It was just. And they wound up getting that meal comped, which was yeah. nice of the, the oh, restaurant to do. The restaurant definitely made right. They they handled it well. It was just slow. Yeah. Um, Enough so that when uh, the last of our party was sitting down, they'd mentioned they'd seen the people moving over to the uh, the symphony area. For the Star Wars Symphony. And as we were paying the check, the fireworks for the end of the symphony were going off. So it was it was a long meal. It was a fun meal. They're, I love talking with these people. So not not a problem. But yeah. I think our friend was rather hungry for a while. Yeah. And I couldn't offer her some of my food because it was shrimp. And I had ordered shrimp on my salad. So 
live and learn. Uh, these things happen. And that's the kind of thing. When you go out to eat, particularly at San Diego, but at any major convention, you've got restaurants that even if they're used to handling a, a heavy load, a convention like San Diego is throwing so much more at them and on such a sudden basis. Yeah. Right? This is a restaurant literally hidden behind the convention center on the water that is kind of hard to get to if yeah. you're not at a convention. So they probably just do moderate business most of the time. Yeah. You know, they do okay, whatever. But now it's like, you know, a huge influx of customers yeah. for five days. Yeah. And then back to whatever they were doing. So they're just, they're not prepped for that. How can they be? Yeah. I've seen this at so many restaurants at the gas lamp, it's not even funny. Um, you just gotta, gotta learn to accept it. But it did make for a, uh, a late night and then, uh, quite a bit of, of traffic getting out of the, uh, the gas lamp area. Well, and we walked by the people camping out for Hall H. Mm-hmm. Adult Swim was still going. And there was a lot going on when we left. Yeah, I I have to say I was blown away by how much was going on on, I guess that would have been J Street leading over to 5th Street when yeah. we came, because we went well, over the pedestrian bridge. Uh, the stuff over in that area, the stuff, uh, again, by the heart of the gas lamp on 5th yeah. uh, was just really hopping. There was some, some music going. There'd just been fireworks. It as, as nice as it would have been to just walk into a hotel over there and, and be in the room, it would have been noisy. It yeah. would have been crowded. It would have been hard to hard to get to sleep just because of all the commotion down there. We've been there. We've done that. Yeah. I was thinking as we drove out of there that if I were not a person who attends Comic-Con and I had a condo in that area, this would be the week I go on vacation every year away from San Diego. I mean, I can see how... Comic-Con is great for business, great for tourism, and a real inconvenience for the locals if they're not into the scene. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, yeah, there was implications on traffic for... Blocks. Like 10, 15 blocks out. Yeah. Um, and red carpet stuff for various, uh, at various venues. A lot, a lot of cool stuff going on, but it disrupts and displaces a lot of the locals. Yeah. So I can understand uh, the mixed feelings the city may have on the convention. Yeah. But just an amazingly fun and informative day for us. Yeah. But it's also, again, gotten to where Comic-Con is kind of like Mardi Gras for, for New Orleans. Yeah. It, it's part of the city. Yeah. And San Diego, the gas lamp in particular. Well, and I want to comment that uh, this morning we saw the Damien fake protesters who yesterday we had seen crossing harbor and today they were several blocks back and away so somebody had gotten the message through to them they'd rerouted to a similar point where they could be seen and heard but not as disruptive to the traffic flow yeah and one of the things i really respect about uh the convention the city the way it's run is they they do a good job as much as they can on traffic control. Yeah. Now, for them to have solved the traffic problems this evening, they would have needed a cop at just about every intersection and some kind of master control to control everything. It's just not doable, I think. Funny, I thought they would have needed a transporter. That too. But they do a good job making sure people are as safe as they possibly can be. They do. But the drivers aren't helping out. The pedestrians aren't helping out. 
No. We saw people, we've seen people run a red light, uh, earlier this week. Uh, people making turns on a four-way stop when they shouldn't have been. People pulling into intersections they couldn't possibly get all the way through. It just tra- causes gridlock. People figuring that if pedestrians are walking and you can't go through, if not everybody, all four lanes can go straight at the four-way stop during their turn, then that must mean that instead of one car going at a time on the other direction, three cars get to go at a time. Instead of waiting until that one pedestrian has an extra 10 seconds to cross, and then the people can go. So there's just a lack of common courtesy. Common courtesy, and it's easy to get distracted uh, when you're walking, when you're driving, whatever. You just got to pay attention. I try to be very cautious in that area. It's a bit nerve-wracking to be driving there with that many people, uh, particularly ones who just kind of dart out in front of you, be it a pedicab, pedestrian, or another vehicle. Yeah. Um, so you just got to pay attention to be safe. Yeah. So it's, it's annoying to have to do the drive, but it's really nice when the drive's done to be back at the hotel and just that craziness is now blocks away. And less than eight hours away. Yes. Cause we're going to have to get up and rinse, repeat, do all that tomorrow, uh, including our, uh, podcasting panel. Mm-hmm. So with that, it is now a few minutes, uh, 15 minutes or so into, uh, Saturday, we're going to call this a night so we can actually get a little bit of sleep before the podcasting panel. Uh, we've got another big day in front of us with the podcasting panel. We've got a movie that night, a few other things to go do. So um, expect us to be really tired when we continue on Saturday. Mm-hmm. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.